Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. If you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 12 this morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. Uh, Scotty will hand one to you. So if you need a Bible, make sure you get your hand up there. John chapter 12 this morning. And uh, we are continuing our study of the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. And um, I forgot to tell you last week that we're going to be in John 12 this morning. So there you have it. You know now. John 12, verses 20 through 50. Next week, if we get through all of this today, which is 30 verses, which is super hard for a guy like me, uh, but uh, we'll do our best, and we'll try not to go tell one or two. We'll just see what the Lord does, but, you know. Um, But now, if, if we do make it through, we will be back in Matthew chapter 26 next week, and we'll look at verses 1 through 20. But this week, John chapter 12, and uh, we find a, just a really interesting passage, set of scriptures, where the Lord now, it's really about Jesus, and it's about God revealing his plan to Jesus at the specific moment. Jesus already knows what God's plan is for his life, and yet there's, it's a timing issue. And here we'll see in these, these verses here this morning The timing is over. Jesus is now preparing to go to the cross. So stand with me if you would, please. We're going to read just a few verses in John chapter 12. As we begin, we're going to look at verse 20 to start with. Here's what it says. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast, some were, some were, uh, were some all were, uh, let me start over. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We are excited to see what you would say to us this morning. We know that you have a plan for our life, Lord. We know that it's a good plan. We know that it's a plan that will yield us prosperity and hope. And help us this morning to receive your words, Lord. It's not enough for us to just believe in what it says, but we have to apply it to our lives. And so this morning, would you just by your spirit speak intimately into our lives? Lord, we're surrendered. We're asking you to come, and we know that you're going to do amazing work in our lives this morning. So we want to receive that even right now. We lift you up. We praise you, Lord. We ask for your spirit to lead us into all truth this morning. Help us rightly divide your word, your holy word, Lord, your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. How many of you have ever encountered a situation or, I don't know, an occupation or whatever it is that, and you just feel like you were born for it? Like you were born to do this, whatever it is. Anybody feel that way? Like you just, you just really, it was something that was so fit you, so suited you that you're just like, man, I feel like I was born to do this. Well, perhaps you were. Maybe that's the case. We know that we are born for something specific. We know, we say this all the time, don't we? God has a plan for your life. Anybody ever heard that before? Like every time you go through some hardship, 
your brothers and sisters remind you, hey, brother, sister, listen, God has a plan for your life. And you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Praise God, I receive you. You know, no, usually we're just like, I don't want this plan. Lord, not this plan. I think I was born for something else. And yet the Lord would say to you this morning, maybe you weren't. You see, we look at suffering oftentimes. We look at hardship in our lives as not God's will, but I promise you that it is. We see in our text this morning, the suffering of Jesus Christ is the will of God. It's the will of God. In fact, Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 53.10 that it pleased the Lord to crush him, to, to, to cause him to be despised. Why is that? Because it is about redemption. It's about the Lord. It's not about us. However God can get glory from, from your life is what you were born for. You understand that. It doesn't matter if it's hardship. It doesn't matter if it's blessing. The reality is, is God has a plan for your life and we want to submit to that. Amen? We have to surrender to the plan of God. And we know, I skipped the verse, but you know it. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the th- the, the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Now, when we think about suffering, we automatically go to this verse and say, see, the Lord says that his plan is for welfare and not for evil. Okay, but listen to me. If your suffering yields godliness, is it evil? You hear what I'm saying? Sometimes the Lord allows things in our life to produce a Christ-like character that there's no way we could get any other way except through suffering. Except through suffering. Now, I know you guys are really excited about this. I can see it on your faces. He's like, I mean, what is this guy talking about suffering? I want to suffer. Christ suffered for me. Yes, he did. He suffered far more than you will ever understand, Christian. The crucified Christ that hung on a cross, having been separated from his father because of your sin, you will never understand what that was like for him. But Jesus told us that, you know, the book of Hebrews tells us that he was, he suffered in every point that you will suffer, and he overcame. And I promise you, he suffered far greater. So you can't sit here this morning and say, God, uh, you can't relate to me in my situation. Oh, yes, he can. He can relate to you. He's a relatable God. And Jesus Christ is the perfect impression of God who came down to to make God relatable to us. And he wants us to know that in godliness comes suffering. Everyone who desires to live godly will what? Suffer. It's the reality. You know, because we have an enemy of the world and he wants to crush crush the Lord, but the Lord has already won. And so we're not fighting for victory. Uh, We're simply receiving the victory that Christ has given us on the cross. And so every time the enemy tries to lash out at you, you can declare victory in that situation. You know that? You can say, look, I know this is difficult, the things that I'm going through right now, but I know God is using this for good in my life. You know, Joseph, a guy who was sold out into slavery by his own brothers. You want to talk about betrayal, man. It doesn't get any more, betrayal doesn't get any more real than when your family members sell you out. You know, when Joseph hears this guy, he's, you know, he's being used, God has given him dreams, God is revealing his plan for Joseph in his life, and then all of a sudden he finds himself in a pit in the middle of the wilderness, 
And his brother's standing around the circle looking down on him saying, oh, we should have just killed him now. Nah, let's just leave him there. He'll die on his own. You know, just the hatred that you could hear in your own brother's voice is kind of strange. And yet, when they see this band of people coming by and they, they pull him up and they sell him off into slavery. Now, you know the story of Joseph, but he finds himself in circumstance over circumstance after circumstance of hardship and suffering, and he continues to face it like a man. Like he's not, he, he doesn't, he's an, oh man, I know, I'm, I, I crushed to the, to the cave, to the pressure, or anything like that. He says, I know that God has a plan for my life, and I refuse to, to think that the enemy is going to win here. I'm going to trust God, and God used the, everything that happened in his life, God used to put him in the place that he needed him to be for, the, for, the, for such a time as this. When Israel was suffering, you know, and they, there was, uh, um, uh, uh, what, what is the word? Uh, uh, what? Famine. There you go. Man, I tell you what, my brain checks out on me a couple times up here, so no worries. It'll come back to me. But, uh, yeah, there was a famine in the land, and all of a sudden, uh, you could pray for me, by the way, but all of a sudden, you know, the Lord has his man placed there as a picture of Jesus. He's a savior. I wonder if God has you placed where you are, and he's used the circumstances he's used in your life to put you in that place. Oh, would that, could that be the Lord, maybe? Yes, it could be. I want you to understand that even though the enemy means evil, God means it for good. And I know that's hard to receive when you're going through hard things. But listen, if you receive the truth and the hardship in those moments, you will have joy. You might think like, well, how can I have joy? Because we automatically think happiness, don't we? We automatically think smiles and we think, no, no. Joy is, joy is something far greater than happiness. It's a choice to praise God no matter what. It's a choice that says, God, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to worship you even in the midst of my hardship. You can choose joy this morning. And no matter where you find yourselves, God has a plan for your life. And listen, it is a plan of greatness. It's a plan of greatness. You could live an ordinary life in this world, and you could live a godly life. And, you know, you might think, like, who did I impact? You have no idea. You have no idea how God is using your life. God is a great God, and therefore people that follow him follow in greatness. Wherever God has you in your life, it is for something great, something greater than you could, you could even fathom. Maybe somebody gets saved as a result of your just simple faithfulness of living out your faith before the Lord. Is that not greatness? Listen to me. A pearl is not fashioned except by irritation and pressure. Do you know that? It's by irritation and pressure. You will never become that witness for Christ without that irritation and pressure. And it's that irritation and pressure that the Lord uses uh, to work in other people's lives too as they watch you. You know, when the, the disciples, as they were, uh, you know, living their lives, you can read Fox's books of mar martyrs. After Jesus died, they all, were, were di they all died martyrs of the death, except for um, John. He did not die as a martyr. And the reality of the, 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 the thing was that uh, when they died, people got saved. Like people came to Christ at their deaths because they said, how in the world can these people continue on believing what they believe if, that, if it's a lie, if they're faking it? They must have really seen the risen Christ. 
And I wonder if people would say that about you this morning in your suffering, if they're saying, how in the world can this person sustain themselves in this situation? It's only by the Lord. Perhaps they have been with Jesus. His disciples, they emanated that. The Bible says in Proverbs 16:4 that the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for a day of trouble. God has fashioned and formed you for whatever you are dealing with even now. You were born for this. You were born for this. Do you believe it this morning? No? Nobody believe that? <laughs> I believe it, man. You're born for whatever it is that you're going through, and God is going to fashion and form you into the image of Christ. There's three things I want to share with you this morning regarding uh, what you were born for. Firstly, we want to look at verses 20 through 23 where it says there that Jesus was born for a specific hour. Look at this. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And so they came to Philip, and, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew told Philip. Uh, Philip and Andrew went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come. For the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, it says certain Greeks here came to Jesus. We don't know much about these guys. We don't know whether they were ethnically Greek or if they were just simple Gentiles. The word can be transferred between. It's just anybody who is not a, 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 um, you know, a Hebrew was a Gentile. A Greek was considered a, a Gentile. What we know is that they came to worship. And so perhaps they were God-fearers, people that actually feared the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who lived their lives according to the statutes and the laws of Israel, but had not converted to Judaism. They were just considered God-fearers. Maybe they were. Maybe they were actual proselytes who actually did convert into Judaism. We don't know. But what we know is that they are fascinated with Jesus. They came because they wanted to see Jesus. I hope that's why you're here this morning, is because you came to see Jesus. Listen, there is no other reason for us to come, friends, is to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. We want to be found at the feet of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Your life should be centered around Jesus. These men, they came and they, they went to Philip. Now, they could have gone to Philip because... Uh, perhaps he was, you know, one, a guy that looked like a Greek. He was from uh, the Galilee region, and so he probably spoke Greek, and so they, maybe they just started speaking Greek, and he responded to them. We don't know why they went to him, but they came to him, and they asked for a face-to-face -face visit with Jesus. Now, as you can imagine, at this point, Jesus is, his notoriety has really risen. He is, uh, you know, he's really famous at this point. Now, if you were to ask for, you know, some FaceTime with a famous person, how would that go for you? Probably wouldn't go really well for you, would it? You'd probably be like, well, what do you want? Well, I just, I just want to see them. Okay, but what, what do you want? I just want to see them. I want to, you know, I want to see if they're everything that I think that they are. <laughs> Sorry, you're crazy. You're not getting in. But here's the interesting thing is that Philip, not knowing how to deal with the situation, Primarily because Jesus already had told them, listen, don't go to the Gentiles. Stay away from the Gentiles. He told them that in Matthew 10, 5 through 6. He said, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. Here he's faced with the idea of being, I'm supposed to bring Gentiles to Jesus? Oh, man, what do I do? <laughs> Let me go to Andrew. He can handle it. He's my superior. You know, Andrew, here you go. Here's some people. So they both go to Jesus and they say, Lord, there's some Gentiles that want to see you. 
And it must have shocked them at the response in verse 23 when Jesus said this, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, why would that shock them? Because repetitively, Jesus had been saying to them what? My hour is not yet come. My hour is not yet come. Every time they turned around, they heard Jesus say, my hour is not yet come. Jesus' own mother heard those words when, he, when she came to him and said, Jesus, will you make me some wine? And he said, woman, what do you have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. There was an hour that Jesus was waiting for, and his disciples were used to hearing him say, my hour has not yet come. So you can imagine the shock on their faces to hear him say, my hour has come. My hour has come. Jesus clearly understood that he had a specific hour that he was born for. And when that hour came, he knew it. You might be sitting here this morning thinking, man, Lord, I don't know what I was born for. I don't know what I was born to do. Well, let me tell you, if you seek him and you continue to seek him, that hour will arrive and you will know. But if you give up and you stop seeking, perhaps you'll miss it. The idea is a continual seeking of the Lord. What is your plan and purpose for me today, Lord? Because do you know that his plan can change? Uh, Not his plan can change, but what you're doing can change. Like he can have you be doing one thing today and tomorrow he can be having you do something completely different that makes no sense to you. So you have to continually seek Jesus on what it is that you were specifically created for. What is my purpose, God? You know, I don't pretend to think that I will be doing this forever. I know that I have a, I have a, you know, though maybe I will be, but I have to continually seek the Lord on a daily basis. God, is this con- your continual will for my life? I'll, I'll share the gospel. I'll teach the Bible. I'll continue to do that. But what I'm saying is circumstances change. And the Lord may divert you somewhere else. Here, the, our, our, you know, Tom and Cindy, they're diverting back to Colorado. We're going to miss them greatly. But they believe this is God's plan. God brought them out here for a purpose, and now he's taking him, them back to Colorado for a purpose. Many of you sit here today, and you're like, and I've had conversations with you, and you say, I have no idea why God moved me here. And I'm thinking, oh, praise God. Sounds like him. Sounds like something the Lord would do. People move out to this area for some reason, I believe because it's so, uh, you know, there's so much religion here, but not a lot of relationship that God needs to bring genuine believers into this place, into the Bible Belt to show them what it looks like. Just as much as he sent his disciples into that religious system of, of the day when Jesus lived into Judaism to help them see that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, God has perhaps sent you here to just live your simple life for Christ before people who are just religious people. Maybe that's the point. What I'm saying to you is that you have to continue to seek him and and, and to know this. You know, you want to continue to seek him in this. Lord, I want to be about your will, not mine. What is your your plan? And when the hour arises, you will know. Now, I find it interesting that the hour in which Jesus had come is directly connected to these Gentiles. Does anybody else think this is interesting? Because as I was studying this, I was thinking, huh, this timing is impeccable because the nation of Israel has rejected Jesus Christ already as the Messiah. They will just work it out at the crucifixion. They will just, that will be 
just what's already gone on in their heart. That will be the physical evidence of what's already gone on internally as far as the nation is concerned. Israel has rejected her Messiah. Jesus said, my hour has come when the Gentiles come seeking him. That is because the church age, which is the period of time in which Jesus, you know, uh, died and rose again from the dead. At that point in time, the church age began. It's also called the age of grace all the way up into the beginning of the tribulation period. That is the season in which we live today. This is the age that we live in. Now, the people that are primarily being affected by the gospel in this age are Gentiles. You know, the Bible tells us that there is in large a hardening, a partial hardening has happened to the nation of Israel. As they've continually rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah, God has hardened their heart partially to the point that they cannot believe. In fact, we'll get into that in a minute, how that all works and why God would do that. But I promise you it has everything to do with the heart of the person. And God just, you know, as they decide to reject Jesus, God makes that decision sure. But, but the reality is that Israel had rejected um, the Lord. They are now partially hardened. And um, the, the, the Bible tells us that as a result of that, there will be an outreach to the Gentiles. Paul spoke about it in Romans chapter 11, verse 25. It says this, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Israel has been hardened they will not believe. They cannot believe. Not everybody understand. There are many Jews that have come to Christ to this day and age, but for the most part, the majority of the nation of Israel will not believe in Jesus because there is a partial hardening. It's partial. Paul says, um, you know, in Romans chapter 11, just a few verses above that 25 there in verse 7, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it's seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. You see, Israel was seeking their Messiah when Jesus showed up. They were looking for the Savior of the world. Guess what? He was right before them. They missed it. They were looking for something other than Jesus Christ. They were looking for something far more grand. They were looking for a red-carpeted Messiah that would come as a king and that he would, you know, he would come with authority and power and he would just take over you know, and throw uh, the Romans out of Jerusalem and he would just you know, set up his kingdom on earth. That's not the way that the Bible talks about the Messiah coming the first time. That's the second time. It does talk about him coming that way. They're partially correct. Their timing is off. They forgot, you know, Psalm 22. They forgot the idea that there was a suffering servant that would come and he would lay his life down for the sake of the people that their sins would be forgiven. That had to happen first. Jesus had to die, rise again from the dead, save the world through his blood, and then at his second coming, he will come as the king to reign. But in this particular moment, he is called to be the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Israel was seeking and they missed him because it didn't fit their preconceived profile of the Messiah. <clears throat> and so God partially hardened the nation of Israel, and turned his sights to the Gentiles. Now, it says here that a partial hardening will happen, listen, until the fullness of the Gentiles 
comes in. You can circle that word until. That word speaks of a certain time. There is a time frame. Now, God stands outside of time. He sees the beginning from the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega, right? But, but he uses events at specific points of time to work out his plan in your life and his plan as it relates to this world. And so he uses specific times. And so it says, until, that is a word that is speaking of a certain time. The fullness there, that word speaks of completeness. So there's a time point in which there will be a completeness of the coming in. That word right there, every time Jesus uses that Greek word come in, he is speaking about salvation. So the idea of what the Holy Spirit is communicating here, would, it would seem to be that he's saying there's a certain number of Gentiles that will receive salvation. And at that point in time, once that happens, the Lord will remove that partial hardening of Israel and he will turn his heart back towards Israel. We do not believe in replacement theology, folks. I think you've heard that in the last few sermons <laughs> that I've given. We believe that God still has a plan for Israel. The church has not replaced Israel. In fact, you have to toss out a lot of the a New Testament to come to that conclusion, I believe. I, I love my brothers and sisters that believe that, but I'm just saying, from my standpoint, I think it's so clear that we have not replaced Israel. God has a plan. Romans 9 through 11 speaks about that plan for Israel. And, there will, and that plan will be worked out in what is called the tribulation period. Now, here's the thing. I can't be dogmatic about this, but I believe once the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, at that point in time, the Lord will rapture his church. At that very point in time, because at that point in time, I believe the tribulation period will start. And so we're, we're looking for that last Gentile to come into, you know, to the kingdom, to, to turn his heart over to the Lord. So would you get, if you're here this morning, would you come to the Lord so we can go home and be with him? No. But, but go out and share the gospel because you have no idea who that Gentile is. You have no idea who he is. Now, don't, don't, don't be targeting specific people. You know, don't share the gospel with Jews, too. They're not just the Gentiles. You're trying, I'm looking for the last Gentile. Are you him? You know, no. You've got to share the gospel with everybody. But I believe that the catalyst for the catching away that's spoken of in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17 is the fullness of the Gentiles. I don't believe that it's a feast. I don't believe that. It could be. I mean, it could be. It could be that they all uh, specifically happened at the same time. I don't believe that it's September 23rd, 2017. As maybe you've heard, you know, thanks to David Mead, we can mark that date off our list because no one knows the day or the hour in which the Son of Man will appear. Every time I read something in the national news about this kind of stuff, I'm just like, when will we get it? I mean, when will we really get it and really just trust Jesus' words? He said them. They're red-lettered. That means they supersede anybody else's words or opinions. This is not something that Jesus has kind of waffled on. Maybe no one will know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe somebody has enough, you know, understanding to come to that conclusion. No, nobody will know. It's emphatic. And so, you know, when you read these kind of things about September 23rd, 2017, that, that that's the day in which the rapture is going to happen and all this kind of stuff, you go, nope, not going to happen. That right there just declared the fact that that will not happen. 
Now, I'm just saying that, you know, there are those who look at the, um, the you know, Jesus Christ fulfilling all of the feasts, and many believe that there are three feasts that he has not yet um, fulfilled yet. I don't have time to go into all that. I'm just telling you that that's where they came up with this idea of him fulfilling the rapture at September uh, 23rd to 2017. Maybe it will happen on that day, on that, not that day, but I mean on that feast particularly, some other time, but it will not happen on that day because no one knows the hour the day or the hour in which the Son of Man will appear. This guy is going to go into the books just like Harold Camping, just like the Watchtower Society, just like everybody else that tried to predict Christ coming back on a certain day. It will not happen. Period. Now, am I emphatic about that? That might be dogma in there. I'm not sure, but I think it is because Jesus said it. But listen, here's the thing. That the fullness of the Gentiles... It's not tied to anything. You don't know when that's going to happen. You have no idea. It could happen in an instant, and then the Lord just come back. I'm not saying that's exactly how it's going to happen. I'm just telling you that as I study Scripture, that's how I see it. Now, you study the Scriptures, and you see it the way you see it, but that's how I see it. I believe that it's so interesting to me that Jesus said, my hour has come when these Gentiles showed up. It was a reaction to the fact that Gentiles came seeking Jesus Christ. And he says, well, my time has come. Why? Why, Lord? Because these Gentiles showed up. And this age of grace, this church age, will primarily be an outreach to the Gentiles, to those who have been forsaken by my people. Who, they, they, my people were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. They were supposed to show them the way. And rather than showing them the way, they block them off. So the Lord says, I will outreach to the Gentiles for a period of time. And when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, at that point in time, I will, I believe, take my church home and I will start the period of time when I will deal with Israel. We've been talking about that period of time in Matthew 24 and 25, what that will look like. This is all tied together. I believe that Jesus is now understanding that his hour has now come. We don't know for sure, or what we do know for sure is that Jesus was born for this. Jesus Christ was born for this. And listen, I don't know what, what, what God has done in your life, but there are things in your life that he has formed and fashioned for you. In fact, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2.10 that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so he has created things specifically for you to fulfill. There are hours that wait for you. And when those hours come, you have to step in to, that, to, to what he's created you for. You have to step into it. It's not just going to happen. You hear me? Like at the end of the day, no, no, no world-class athlete just became a world-class athlete overnight. They just said, I just want to be a world-class athlete, and they woke up that way. That's not the way it happens. It comes through hard work. It comes through what? Suffering. It comes through suffering. You know, nobody, there are people that you look back on in the history of the church. You look at the Apostle Paul. God created and fashioned and formed him to be a light to the Gentiles. Do you know that? That's what the Bible says in Acts chapter 9. It says that God has a specific plan for him. And it says, I will show him how much he must prosper. Uh-uh. How much he must suffer. How much he must suffer. Philip. Man, he was being used greatly. He's an evangelist. He has the gift of evangelism. He's thinking, God, send me to the thousands. I will share the gospel with them. And the Lord sends him out. 
to the desert for one person. He was born for that. Maybe you were born for that one person in your life right now that needs to hear the gospel. And maybe you're the one that God sent and you have to arise to that occasion. When Philip was out in the desert, you know, you could be kicking a can and saying, God, why aren't you blessing me? How come you're not doing anything in my life? Why aren't you using me like that? And you know, and you totally miss what's on the horizon. You miss the hour. Don't miss the hour. The Lord will awaken your heart to it. You just live your life. You, you, you just follow the Lord. And he will awaken your heart to that. Look at Martin Luther in the Reformation. You think he woke up one day just going, I think I'll start a revolution. No, I think he woke up one day and the Holy Spirit said, you were born for this. And so he went in and he's, he, he hammered a 95 thesis onto the, the door in Wittenberg there. Martin Luther, man, he had a, a Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, the Great Awakening, Moody, Wesley, Finley, all used by God in unique ways for revival. God has a specific hour for you too. It might not be like them, but it is specific for you. God formed and fashioned you for some work that he designed you for and only you can fulfill it. You know, when, a, when an architect builds a beam for a building, it has a specific place it goes. It can't choose to go somewhere else. No, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be that beam. I want to be that beam over there, so I want to go over there. No, you, no, you have to be this beam. You know, it's, 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 it's kind of nonsensical to think that we get to choose whatever it is that we want to do. The Lord designed you for something. What is it? Seek him. And if, if you know, you don't know today, seek him again. Seek him tomorrow. Continue to seek him. That hour will show up one day for you. And the Lord will reveal it. And I also want to say this, that he may show you at one point in time, and it might not come to fruition for years later. That happened to me. The Lord called me to be a pastor in 2004. I never ever, you know, I didn't, I didn't step into that role until 2009. Until 2009, the Lord said, man, we got a lot of work to do for you, so let's just start right now. It's going to take some years, but we're going to get you there, you know, kind of thing. And, but, but it was a period of time in which, you know, in fact, when I moved here, that's when it started clicking. The Lord, in 2004, I didn't know. I just knew I was called to ministry. I didn't have all the details. When we started to move, we were getting ready in 2006. We were starting to think about moving to Tennessee. We were going to build a building. It was going to take time. We're like, whatever, we'll move. And, and during that time, the Lord revealed to my wife and I that we were going to start a church in Columbia. So again, it was a timing thing. And then the hour came in 2010. You know, when we, did, when we started, or 2009, we started a Bible study in our house. And the Lord said, now's the time. You know, we grew to the point where it was a little uncomfortable at our house. We converted into a house church first, and then we moved into the YMCA here in Columbia, and then we moved into this building, which we were only in that side initially. So you can see that it's a progression, that God's revealing his, and, and maybe there's multiple hours in your life. But what I'm saying is if you don't continue to seek him, you won't, you won't, you won't get it. You'll miss it. You were formed and fashioned for something specific, and God wants to reveal it to you. Jesus knew that this was now his hour as a result of these Gentiles coming. The second thing I want to show you is that you were born for glory. Look at verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it 
for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus understood that his hour had come, listen, to be glorified. Now, you might think, how sounds glorious. That sounds awesome. I, I want to be glorified. I, wanna, I want the crown and all of that stuff. Put the, put the king's cloak on me and all of that, the staff. I, I would like to be glorified too. But what Jesus really meant is crucified. He said, it's time for me to be glorified. Oh, you mean crucified? Yeah, I mean crucified. But that's how I'll be glorified. It's through the crucifixion that Jesus Christ was glorified and that he brought, listen to me, the most glory to the Father was in the fact that he laid his life down. Listen to me, he didn't hold anything back. It's an example to us. Jesus Christ is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. But in these moments, as we work through this text, you'll see the humanity of Christ, that he was fully a man. Like God made him, you know, and people go, I can't get my mind around that. I don't understand how, how he can do that. Well, when you can explain to me how God spoke the world into existence, then maybe, you know, I mean, God isn't, he's unfathomable. He can do anything. And so it shouldn't stumble us to think that he could do something like this. Like this is easy peasy, comparably speaking. That God would come down, that he would infuse himself in a baby, and that he would grow to be a man, and that he would die, and that he would ascend to heaven as, as God once again. But he would lay down his deity as he would come. Jesus says, man, it is now my time to be glorified. The crucifixion is how Jesus will be glorified, and it's how the Father will be glorified. It's through the cross, because redemption came through the cross. It's how God bought back this world from the enemy, bought back this world from sin and death. It was through a crucifixion of a perfect lamb who is Jesus Christ. He suffered that he might be glorified and that the Father might be glorified. Suffering produces glory. That's how it works. Suffering produces glory if you let it. Again, every ounce of glory that anyone will ever receive comes through some sort of suffering. As I said before, you know, if you're a world-class athlete, you don't accidentally become that. It's through suffering. It's through, through working your body out. You know, no one wakes up one day with endless amounts of knowledge in their brain. You know, just like, oh, all of a sudden I'm smarter. What happened? You know, I'm still waiting for that. But uh, it says you suffer through, you have to suffer through countless hours of reading and gaining knowledge. It takes work to do that. It takes suffering. The same holds true for the Christian. Our suffering will end up to be our glory. Paul said it like this, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul is saying Paul is comparing, listen, he's comparing the suffering that you're going through today, and I don't know what that is, and it might be great, but, he, but compared to glory, it is light. It is light. Romans chapter 8, he said the same thing. He said, your sufferings are, are not worthy to be compared to the glory in which you will receive one day. When you step into the kingdom of God, 
you're going to think, I don't belong here, Lord. Oh my gosh, this is so incredible. And the Lord is saying, yeah, but I bought you, but I paid for you. My blood covered you. It cleansed you. You were forgiven because you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now you can be glorified. You will be changed. You will no longer be this person that has a tendency to to, want to do the wrong things. You'll always, you'll be perfect. You'll be glorified in heaven one day. It has no comparison in what you are dealing with today. Our glory comes through suffering and also our glory produces our, our suffering produces glory for the Father. That's why uh, the Lord said in Isaiah chapter 53.10 that it was, to the Lord's, um, it was the Lord's will to crush Jesus that he put him to grief because that's how redemption was birthed. Without a Savior dying on a cross, we are hopeless people. Paul wrote, it, it, Paul wrote and said the fact that without Jesus Christ raising again from the dead, we have no hope. There has to be a blood sacrifice. That blood sacrifice has to be perfect. The fact that Jesus rose again from the dead is evidence that he was perfect before the Father and that his sacrifice was acceptable. And so there you have it. The Lord says it it brings glory to the Lord because Jesus Christ suffered. Jesus illustrated this here in, in the fact that he used a kernel of wheat. He said a kernel of wheat has to die in order for it to be glorified. Now, what do you mean? Well, A kernel of wheat by itself, if you set it on a table, it's going to do nothing. It's dead. But do you realize there's life in there? You know, Joe did a great job of explaining to us a couple weeks ago the idea that God wrote DNA into seeds. And as those seeds are planted and they die, it bursts forth life. Like, you know, out of one seed, think about this, out of one apple seed, an apple tree can be birthed and thousands of apples can come from that. That is God's unique design in creation, and he put that in you. Jesus is saying, for me, I'm that kernel of wheat. I have to die in order that life might come, but the same holds true for you because he goes on to say, if you're my servant, you're going to follow in my footsteps. So you have to die, but in your dying comes life, and that more abundantly, eternal life forever, to be with the Lord you have to follow Jesus in this way. And, and, and when you do, you will begin to walk in newness of life. It's a picture of baptism. It's like the idea of, you know, that's why we're baptized. We're identifying with, with Christ's death and his resurrection. Which, by the way, if you're going to be at the Lemps for the harvest uh, festival here, we're going to do a baptism. If you're interested in that, you can see me or one of the elders in the church. We want to talk to you beforehand about it. But if you're interested in being baptized, let us know. You know, baptism doesn't save you, folks, like I'm talking about. It's identification with what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, that he died, he laid himself in that grave, and he rose again from the dead. And as you're laid into that watery grave, you're saying, I am identifying with the death of Jesus. And you, as you're pulled back out of that water, you're saying, I am risen to newness of life. I am forgiven, and I'm going to walk now according to the Lord's will. Now, you're declaring that to everyone, but it won't save you you got to be saved. Like you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. you got to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. And at that point, then you want to be baptized. Well, do I need to be baptized? 
You should be. Why wouldn't you want to be? Why wouldn't you want to identify with Christ? If you've never been baptized before, you should be baptized. Again, it's not going to make you a Christian, but you'll be identifying with Christ, and you're making a declaration to everyone around you that says, hey, I'm believing that Jesus Christ died and rose again from the dead for me, and I'm identifying with that. So if you want to do that, come on out um, for that and let us know so that we can help with that. God honors those who honor his son. That's what Jesus said. If you honor me, you honor the Father because Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father. Now, we're not going to get through the rest of this because I have too much to go through and I'm not going to rush through it, but listen to this. At the end of the day, what, what you need to understand is that you were designed and fashioned and formed for something great. You, oh, me? Did God form you? Yeah, you. God formed you and fashioned you for something specific. And what God does is great. And so, therefore, what he has for you in this life is greatness. Will you rise to the occasion or will you cower to the pressure? Will you fold? Will you buckle? Or will you stand up and take what is yours? Because here's the reality is, you know, you can sit in your home or in your prayer closet or whatever, and you can tell God all day long how he can't use you. How there's no way in, in, in the world you could ever use me, God, because I've done too much. I'm just, I'm not that way. I'm just, you know, and you can start to make all these excuses and let yourself out of the idea that God made you for something great. Or you can stand up today and you can say, Lord, I'm going to put my flag in the sand and I'm going to say, I'm standing up for the specific design and purpose that you have for my life and I want to receive it. And if that's you this morning, listen, you come to the Lord and you just say, God, here I am. I'm, I'm the, um, you know, I'm Isaiah. I'm, here I am, Lord, send me. I want to know what your plan and purpose is for my life. I can tell you right now, if you don't know Jesus, that's his first plan for you. The fact that you need to identify with the fact that he died and rose again from the dead for you, that you're a sinner who needs a savior. Uh, you know, no, nobody, uh, for the most part, nobody believes that they're perfect people. And it takes perfection to stand before the Lord. That's why Jesus died for us, so that we can stand perfectly before the Lord. Do you know that w- the, the efficaciousness of the blood of Christ, that, it, that as Jesus brings you into the presence of the Father, that he presents you as a an unblemished lamb, you are perfect before the Father because of what Jesus has done. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you need to come to him this morning. You need to believe in him. He shed his blood for you so that you can be forgiven, not so that you can sit back and, you know, give yourself excuses on why you shouldn't come. You need to come this morning. And if you're here and you're, you're pondering this idea of, God, what am I born for? Maybe just simply saying, God, I'm born for this. Whatever I'm going through right now, I'm born for this. And I'm going to be faithful with this. And as I'm faithful with this right here that I'm going through right now, um, God is going to give you more. He's going to, the hours will continue to come as he will reveal himself to you. But you have to step into the hour today. He's not going to give you the next hour until you step into the hour today. You hear me? You can't expect him to do more in your life if you're not doing what he's already told you to do. You have the Word of God. You have what it says. If you're not living according to the Word of God, start there. The hour has come today for me to repent of my sin and turn my heart back to the Lord. 
The hour has come for me to stop being, um, you know, bashful about the gospel, and I'm going to go take the gospel into the world. The, the hour has come for me to go tell my neighbor about Jesus. Whatever the hour is, wherever you find yourself today, the hour has come for me right now in my suffering, in, in dealing with this disease or dealing with this financial issue, dealing with this relationship problem that I have, but I'm going to choose to, to let you be glorified in this situation today, my hour has come, Lord, and I will stand for you. That's what the Lord wants to hear from you this morning. And if you do that, the Lord will meet you where you are. And he will show up in ways that are unbelievable. I promise you. But it takes faith. You've got to exercise faith. So with that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, for your goodness to us, Lord for revealing your truth to us. And Lord, there, there are things here this morning in our own hearts, Lord, that we want to surrender to you. We need you to come in and rectify the wrongs, Lord. We need you to come into our hearts and, Lord, just receive us as we are and change us and make us more like you. Father, we desire to be like Jesus and we know that your word, as we just read, that as we follow him, it will lead us down paths that will produce some sort of suffering in our life, but we want to just receive the strength to get through those today, Lord. Maybe we're in that place this morning, God, and we're saying, I can't handle another thing, Lord. Your word tells us that all who are weary and heavy laden to come to you, to cast our care on you, Lord, because you care for us. We're not... We were designed for a certain amount of suffering, but the weight is on your shoulders. Your word tells us that we are to endure as good soldiers. And so this morning, God, would you just quicken our hearts to whatever it is that we need to do today? If there's anyone here this morning that needs a relationship, God, that you would draw them. You would help them to see that you're here. They just believe in you, trust in you place their faith in you. You tell us, God, anyone who calls upon my name will be saved. That name is the name of Jesus, the name above all names. If there's anyone here this morning, Lord, we just ask them that they would declare, Lord, I'm calling on Jesus this morning. I came to see Jesus and I have seen him. Now I want to be saved this morning. I want to receive him as my Lord and Savior. I want to be forgiven of my sin. I'm asking you to come into my life right now. Become my Lord. I'm turning away from my sin. I'm turning to you, Lord. Will you forgive me? Will you cleanse me? I receive you now. Lord, for the rest of us that know you, God, would you just continue in your spirit to move and just help us to step into the hour that you created us for? Lord, help us not to give ourselves any more excuses. Again, it's not about our work because the work that we're called to do is something that you've already formed and fashioned for us. And so would you help us to step into the hour and become who you've called us to be, Lord? We lift you up. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.